What is going on, Almost Canon listeners? It's me, Nick Willard. Same as always. I am here. I am present. And I am looking forward to this discussion tonight. Uh, We're going to have, I'm having um, Tom Pollard on again tonight. He is the... uh, the award-winning cameraman, high-altitude cameraman, and I'm just going to refer to him as uh, a Mallory slash Irvine mystery um, expert. But other than mountaineering, Tom tried his hands in something else for a little while. After his his uh his first climb in in ninety nine he he came off Everest kind of like a bad taste in his mouth sort of um and he he ended up meeting this guy who who told him who invited him on you know to be this cameraman on this this voyage from invited him on this voyage where they were going to sail this reed ship, the ship made of reeds. Now, when I say reed ship, I'm talking, like, this thing is like a ship, not just like a little boat that, you know, you can fit a couple people on with some some bags of uh, some food or, you know, a couple 50-gallon drums of water. I'm talking a ship, like a ship ship. And uh, so they sailed this ship from from you know, the the coast of, of Chile to Easter Island. They were they were heading they wanted to go to Australia, but they didn't I don't I don't think they made it that far. But I know Tom at least went to Easter Island. Uh and we're gonna talk about that that voyage tonight. I mean he might have gotten, you know a little over his head, literally, you know. <laughs> uh but yeah, no, we're gonna talk about that tonight. Um, in just a little, in just a little while, but before we get into that, you know, I wanted to go over, you know, our, how to contact us. We have the Instagram page. It's, uh, at almost Canon pod, uh, the Facebook page, almost Canon, uh, an email, almost Canon, uh, pod at gmail.com. You can send us your stories of you know, Bigfoot attacks or, or, you know, if you caught a lake monster and you, you had to let it go or whatever, you can, you can send us your stories about that. Maybe if you're abducted by aliens or, or found some sort of lost city in the middle of the jungle somewhere, maybe dug up some buried treasure on, on a remote beach out in, you know, the middle of, I don't know, the Sea of Cortez or something. We, we want your stories. We want to hear them. You can get a hold of us at uh, the Instagram, Facebook, email. We have a website. I think it's almostcanon.com. But let me just, I'm going to type that in really quick. Almost. Yeah, so it's almostcanon.com, but but uh, uh, Bank was running it. I don't, and I'm not sure he's, 
he he uh, is keeping up with it. But I'm sure if you, you know, there's a contact at the bottom of the the website. There's a there's a little a contact link. You you can send your 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 message out, and I'm sure he'll he'll relay it back to me when he gets the chance. Um, and other than that, we gotta you know don't forget to like and subscribe on on everything. We you know like and uh like and subscribe to the the Facebook page, the Instagram. We have a YouTube channel. And especially the podcast, don't forget to leave a rating or a review or both, prefer preferably both. Um, and it would seem to iTunes is is probably the best place to do this. I think you know I I said it before. I think it's like like seventy five percent of all podcast listeners listen through i. Not iTunes, but uh, Apple Podcasts. So they're they're probably the, the most important place to leave your your ratings and reviews. But you know, I'll take them if you want to leave them on uh, Stitcher or Spotify or um, you know Apple Podcast, um, Amazon Podcast, or wherever you you know catch your podcast at. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review. Um, but yeah, those ratings and reviews, they're important. I know it sounds silly, and I really, I do, I honestly do not like, you know, repeating this over and over again. And I feel like that's all I do now, but they're very important. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review. And like I said, the next 50 people who leave a rating and a review, a five-star rating and a, and a review on Apple uh podcast will receive a free almost cannon sticker you know it's got the 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 almost cannon head exploding head it says almost cannon podcast underneath i will you rate and review the show you get a hold of me email me message me whatever you know show me that you you rated the show and reviewed it i don't know how we'll go about doing this but we'll figure it out and I will send you free of charge an almost cannon sticker. So there's that offer on the table. Um, I also wanted to say that a uh, almost cannon plus member graciously purchased a EMF EDI meter plus, and we. I don't I don't want to like talk too much about it right now, but obviously we'll be able to use this meter uh, out in the field for some videos down the road, but I also am working with, uh, someone they've been on the show a few, a couple times and we are, you know, we're going to, we're going to test out this, this, this place. And, uh, I don't want to get, you know, too into the, the weeds about it. I don't really want to give it away quite yet, but it's, it's exciting. I don't, I don't think that, there's been any, you know, experiment like this that deals with the paranormal. Uh, but I'm excited. Well, you know, you should be excited. And when we when we do it, when we get the data back, or actually probably even before we get the data back, when we do it, you will be there. You will see us doing this. It'll be exciting. It's definitely cool. Uh, it involves... 
It definitely involves the paranormal. Um, and yeah, this meter is going to come in handy and it's going to be great. So this, this mysterious benefactor who, who is an almost canon plus member, they, you know, they graciously purchased this for us. Um, so everyone, everyone say thank you. Thank you. So Tom should be coming on here any minute now. And when he does, we will kick off the show. But yeah, I just wanted to give a, a another thanks to uh, Michelle Clark for coming on last week at the last minute. I uh, and and also for Stephen James for calling in at you know the random time as right as I was doing the interview, he calls and he tells me these ghost stories, and I included one. It it didn't fit in to the episode as as well as I thought it would, but I thought it was a good story, and I wanted to include it. And I wanted you guys to hear it. It was definitely something that. I had been uh, trying to, you know, trying to reach him. And he just happened to randomly call while I was in the middle of recording. So I figured I would in include it. But but yeah, I wanted to thank Michelle Clark for coming on last week at the last minute. You know, I had I had a couple of encounter stories that I was going to kind of one was a ghost story. One was an, a, like some sort of encounter with with uh, some sort of I don't even know cryptid. Uh, that happened in New York. The ghost story happened in, in Bennington, Vermont. You know, and I was going to join these two stories together and put that out for an episode, but I wasn't able to do that. And But I was able to get Michelle on at the last minute, so that was great. So thank you, Michelle. Uh, and we can't wait for you to come back and tell us some more of your, your uh, creepy stories. But yeah, so Tom should be on anytime now. Oh, there he is. Dude. Hey. What's the news, man? Not much. Not yeah. Much. I watched your video. Did you? Yeah. What'd you think? When when you said read ship, I, I didn't imagine that it was an actual ship. <laughs> oh yeah. Sixty five long. Twelve tons. Took a year to make it. Yeah, yeah. legit. Right. Legit, right? That was crazy. Yeah, that's good. So if you, yeah, I can as much as you want to talk into it. So, you know, there's legend in there too, you know what I mean? To yeah. Yeah. Like that that you can write into the intro cuz I heard the way you did the intro on the other one and the other videos you're doing. They're like it's great. It's good. It's a good kind of a good way to do it. And you then you get to kind of plant seeds, you know what I mean, and stuff like that. And um yes, cuz they Believe it or not, I mean, and we can talk about this later. The boats, the boat builders are from Bolivia, mm. which is a, a landlocked nation. Go figure, right? right? Like, how the hell do they know how to build a ship? And that gets into the whole legend of the god Viracocha, which was the name of the ship, which yep. probably hurt a little bit. But um, the dude who I was with on it, the the um, and I'll I can elaborate on this. I'm just trying to give you a little back background. He uh, he didn't like the film at all. He he fucking hated it. He was like, this isn't what I expected. And I'm like, pay me and I'll do it differently. And it was like, all oh, just on my own time. So he's a good buddy of mine. I'm very, we're, we're good. It's all good. But, you know. Was that, uh, what was his name? Uh, Bill. Yeah. Bill Buck. Yeah, yeah. He's the captain. And uh, 
Yeah, he's down in New Zealand now. He's been in New Zealand for uh, oh, a couple of years since his he tried to do a third Reed ship expedition and uh, they got trounced. He was trying to go all the way to Australia. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I won't, I won't elaborate too much. So um, I unfortunately didn't get to listen to the end of your, uh, the spear of destiny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, so cool. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, I went to my, the house that I'm buying and I had all my stuff set up and I have my, my regular podcast equipment. It's just in a box right now. And the mic stands broke and all this. So I'm like holding it and the sound was really bad, but whatever. No, it sounded good. You did, you wouldn't know. Yeah, I, I tried to like patch it up a little bit, but. You don't really know. I mean, that's the thing. Usually people don't know. Like there, there are some people um, who are real sticklers for mm. super quality. Yeah. And I think good quality matters, but um stuff like that doesn't really bother me you know like a lot of times what i'll do is i'll put up a i have a shotgun microphone like a boom mic uh -huh. I'll hide that and add that in just so my voice is always good but right I get lazy sometimes and I'm, nobody knows i mean right. i know yeah anyway it's it's a process i think this this zoom seems to be working pretty good the audio is is definitely better than I thought it would be. So it's pretty good. And I try not to get too far away, like go like that. Yeah, I know. I always forget too, but yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So do you want to nail this or how, yeah. how do you want to? Uh, I don't know. I just kind of wanted to listen to you talk about <laughs> it. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was the Veracocha 2. So he had, he had attempt, attempted it once before, right? Yep. His name is Phil Buck. He's a, he's a captain, meaning, yep, you have to take all these horses right. and everything to be an official captain of the sea. And uh, two years previously, he had built the Viracocha one and sailed it from Northern Chile near just near the, the border of Peru and sailed it successfully to Easter Island. And the reason, and he was the first modern mariner to do that successfully in an ancient style reed ship. And I can explain what an ancient style reed ship is in a moment, but uh, the, the Viracocha too, the idea behind that was he wanted to build a ship to essentially either tag Easter Island or go right by it and see how far right. an ancient vessel could go. So he changed the design of the ship. The first Viracocha was a single-hulled ship, and the Viracocha 2 was a double-hulled ship. And for the listeners or viewers, uh, basically a reed ship is literally that. It's constructed of these tall reeds that grow in lakes around equatorially speaking around the globe. These reeds are called Totora reeds, not unlike Thor Heyerdahl's papyrus ships that he built in um, Egypt and, and things like that. But the Totora reeds are like six feet or so, maybe taller, maybe eight feet. And they're, they're harvested and dried 
And after about, after they're completely dry, big bundles of these reeds are compressed together into what they call chorizos, which is literally means sausages. <laughs> and it's, you know, they're built in South America. So all the words we use are that. Right. And um, they're 15 meters long. And, oh, like, I guess if you were to make a circle with your arm, you, you know, your fingertips together of each hand, that would be about how round they are, probably a little bigger than that. So imagine wrapping your arms around a tree and you can, they're that, and 15 meters, and two or three dozen of these were made. And they estimate that there were two and a half million reeds and the ship ultimately was uh, of two different hulls of these compacted chorizos, which are then themselves compressed together. And uh, the ship, 65 feet long, weighed about 10 to 12 tons before <laughs> it was launched. So this is like a serious ship. Yeah. And, and a lot of people believe that these reed ships were some of the most the safest ocean going vessels ever made. And one of the reasons is because it's a solid hull. So when a wave would walk, come into the ship, like say you're in 12 foot seas, the ship would essentially absorb it, mm. you know, instead of going boing, boing, like a cork or a hollow hold sailboat, for instance. Right. And, but, but now that said, these reeds slowly, they have to be packed together really tight, really, really tightly. And over time, they slowly take on water. Yeah, so, that's scary, huh? So, yeah. So, essentially, the ship is getting a little bit lower every day. Now, it doesn't sink like the Titanic to the bottom of the sea. It, it just... It, it just slowly sinks. And the more in the water it is that and then waterlogged it is, the slower it is and the harder it is to get momentum from the sails above. So those were the challenges that we were dealing with. And on the Viracocha too, he wanted to sail from uh, Chile, Viña del Mar, Chile, past Easter Island, potentially all the way to Australia, which is 8,000 nautical miles. So, yeah, it it, it, it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Got to Easter Island, basically. Still, I mean, that's pretty far still, you know. Yeah. I forget how many miles it was. I don't think I wrote it down. Probably 2,500, almost 3,000 nautical miles. Right. And Easter Island is one of the, if not the most isolated inhabited island on the planet. Yeah. So there were times when we were sailing uh, westward from the coast of Chile in the South Pacific, where the nearest boat was a thousand miles away. <laughs> like that's a long that like that's a long way to be a, you know not near anything. Right. So you know we were sailing with the intent of hoping to find out if pre-Columbian, essentially ancient mariners from a thousand or two thousand years ago might have westwardly migrated from South America into the Polynesian islands, which kind of starts with Easter Island. And then, so that's kind of what the 
the the pretext of it was. And so we literally consulted with Thor Heyerdahl of the Contiki fame. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's the one who helped design this double-hulled breed ship. Unfortunately, he passed away like right before we launched it. So he never got to see it. And uh, he probably would have told, told us to bail because the, right. the launch was a total freaking disaster. And that's what I was thinking of the last time we talked when I was like, oh, I think I saw that on TV. I saw you yeah. on TV. That's, I, it, was, it was him that I was talking about. Oh, Thor. Yeah, the, the, yeah. And he, the, the Contiki in 1947, which in my, that is one of the greatest adventures and expeditions that I think has ever happened, in, at least in modern history, not like Marco Polo or, you know, some of those world travelers or, or you know, um, you know, Captain Cook's like expeditions around the world and things like that. Um, he, it was just gutsy. It was like trying to go to the moon on a, you know, on a raft made of logs strapped together. Right. Great. He was a gutsy dude. Uh, amazing. Great documentary. Great book. Something well worth reading. And, um, you know, and there we were, you know, 50 something years later not quite well yeah 50 60 years later almost so but on a different kind of ship obviously a reed ship not a balsa raft right did you uh did you know that there are villages made out of those reeds in lake titicaca that people yep. actually live on like yes the floating iron islands of uros yeah they're right off of uh the the main ones that are are really commonly known is off this city a small city in peru called puno peru and you can take little boats out to these floating islands and they have schools little teeny churches the people literally live there yeah and it's this massive they just keep putting new reeds on it all the time because the reeds on the bottom just eventually get waterlogged and sink but they live there and the and the the idea is that they were getting kicked off the land, you know, how many ever hundred years ago? And they're like, well, then we'll go float out, float out there on the water. You can't kick us off that as they've been there ever since. It's pretty cool. So right. we went there and the, it very, very interesting place, these floating yeah. islands. And and when you're on it, it's it's like walking on a waterbed, if you will, like, <laughs> like your feet are kind of mushing in and and yeah. they are dry except in some places it kind of starts to sink down, but they're constantly throwing fresh dry reeds on there. Very cool. And it's a total money mark marketing mm. deal. You go on, there trying to sell you little trinkets and pictures they drew and yeah. worth a visit. If you're ever in Puno, Peru. Yeah. I think I saw it on them on TV once. I don't remember where, but very cool. And it's in, I think I put a little bit of it in my film and it's worth looking at. And, uh, we had so much fun. Uh, just a blast down there. You know, the the preliminary excursions down to South America to get the building of the ship ready to buy the rope and to Phil Buck, the captain of the ship, was overseeing the, if you will, the cutting of the reeds mm -hmm. on the Kaka, which is a hilarious thing. So when I do talks for school kids, <laughs> I never say the word titty caca. I know. I just, I just like stuttered saying it because I was <laughs> like, oh, geez. <laughs> it's like, so we did when it's like you do a third grade class and you say titty caca, like all the kids are, he, 
they start giggling and stuff and it's really funny but i we just don't even do it we just say it's a big lake down there and um and and it is an amazing lake and the cool thing is the the best built boat builders reed ship builders in the world live on the shores of lake titicaca the aymara indians are have carried down this for many many generations and they're the learned ones mm. people will be like well why the hell would people build reed ships on a lake and it, it's a very big lake it's mm -hmm. it's known as the highest navigable lake in the world it's not as big as like lake huron mm. but it's very very as that i know of actually it's a really big lake so you know there are huge storms out in the middle of it and it's absolutely swamped with Totoro reeds, which is where we did the cutting of the reeds. So it's a super cool place. But legend has it that, you know, prehistory that there was a god named Viracocha. And Viracocha, at the time when he was the god of this civilization of prehistory, uh, the ocean was there. And that like, like where these people were building these ships, that wasn't just a lake, it was the ocean. And Viracocha led them to their destiny and helped them, if you will, build these reed ships in order to save the culture. It's a pretty cool story. And another interesting thing is, so when you're going down to these really remote villages on islands in Lake Titicaca, you, when we would land on these islands, there'd be people who never have visitors ever, ever in a like we're we're literally Martians. <laughs> and we walked onto the island one day. We took a little boat out, and these people were cutting reeds, and there were these big stacks of totora reeds. I think Phil might. I think I have this in the film as well. And when they saw us, they were like, "Viracocha, oh Viracocha." Because Viracocha was known as a white god Ooh. and yeah. we're white, we're very white. And these people are very, you know, dark skinned, these, these beautiful culturally. They, oh my God, they're just this really fascinating culture of people with their own language. You know, the Aymara speak a, a rare language. They speak Spanish as well. So we could communicate because we spoke 100% Spanish with them. They don't English. They're like, dude, <laughs> like get with it. Right. Um, but anyway, we looked like Viracocha. Now, I don't know if that's a literal whitewashing of some modern man coming in and rewriting history. Of course, the God was white. Like, you know, like, look at me, you know. I have no idea how that happened. I And I never really did the deep dive into it. But uh, fascinating culture to be involved in. And, and it's also believed, and I know you're into these interesting stories there. There was this one settlement not far away that, the guy on the boat didn't want to take us to that supposedly were still would still do human sacrifices at these altars that, and you could go to it. And he was like, there's no fucking way I am going there. You know? So we were like, come on, let's go, dude. Oh. It was like, no, if our boat like has a bad engine problem, we'll be, it will be me, not you. Right, Cause right. You're, like, you're a coach. So all these mysteries and, you know, hidden there of, these cultures that are not, you know, that are basically, you know, not seen by a lot of the world, 
And um, it's also no, believed that after World War II, a lot of the Nazis who were escaping persecution went and hid there and embedded themselves in villages around the lake. And they're like, yeah, down there, there was one of the guys who was like from one of the concentration camps. I mean, he's probably dead now of old age, but really cool. Like just that it, it was just steeped in mystery and intrigue. And there was always smells and, you know, just the earth, like not a lot of modern things happening there. Right. So it was really, really great to just get set up for the expedition. Right. So I kind of looked into the Veracocha a little bit and it seemed from what I could tell, it seemed he's usually depicted with a beard. And when the, the Spanish conquistadors were there, they kind of took that and, and rolled with it and they kind of turned him into a, a white, white God. Ah, I mean, that's kind of, it's kind of like that, but um, at least that's as far as I could get to it. That's cool. Well, you know, there's a, like down in that area, you know, you had the the Spaniards came over and, you, you know, like if you go to Argentina, the people, like half the culture down there is somehow has their genetic code is like very Spanish, if you will, because they came down and did very bad things, you know, wiped out the civilizations and then probably bred with all the people down there. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. So it could have been could have been that. I don't know. Good research. Yeah, I mean, I just looked in it quickly, but uh, yeah, there's like a whole. I don't. I don't know how how into this weird stuff you are, but Veracocha, he's like he's got his whole like sub series of of myths surrounding him, and he's like a uh uh like an At Atlantean and all this crazy stuff. So, but yeah, yeah uh yeah right you don't need right. to get into that no you, that you know the, i'll tell you you know the whole atlantean thing is there's like there's a guy around now who actually um his name is uh matthias de stefano and he remembers all his past lives mm. And one of the past lives that he remembers was in the Atlantean time. And he speaks, he literally just started churning out a language that he says is Atlantean. Atlantean? You got to look this up. It's yeah, absolutely fascinating. And he, I, I would, I honestly would have not yet, but I really want to reach out and do an interview with him. Um, he's getting so big now. Right. You better get him before he does. Oh, he's, it might be, I might be done. It might be too late, but you never know. Sometimes you hit, you catch fire with someone. Hey, would you do like to do an interview? That's how I do musicians all the time. You know, I've had some really cool. I mean, that's music how, I, how I got a hold of you. Yeah. Um, I was just, I was like, he, he, he'll never get back to me, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that is so, uh, no, you know, uh, when I was young and just out of college, I would write letters to people asking if I could go and chum along on a film shoot. And, hey, would you, you know, let me come along and I'll try not to bother you and I'll help you. And a lot of people never replied. It right. was pre-email, pre which <laughs> seems like ancient history. But um, and I just thought, I'm never going to do that. 
I try so hard to answer like stuff. There's, there's, you know, there's one guy who actually emailed me and he had like one subscriber on his YouTube channel. I was like, please do an interview with me. I was like, get back to me. It's all good, man. But like, <laughs> I don't know, you know, yeah. um, but, but I love, but the mystery tract is really cool. And, and, and the Vera Kocha stuff is, is absolutely fascinating. So mm. there, there's also, you know, there's one of the, one of the things that would link these, these civilizations together. Um, people like Thor Heyerdahl had found that in a lot of their carvings and statues, there were similarities in things that they found in South America that they also found on Easter Island. And mm -hmm. then also in areas of the, the um, you know, Eastern Polynesia. And so he believed that, that, that art and culture kind of linked these people together. And he thought, you know, whether by purpose or whether having been blown out in a storm with a fleet of these ships and then just randomly landing on Easter Island, he linked these people together. And then one of the other things he said was because of the sweet potato right. found in all these equatorially around the globe, as well as the Totoro reed. So Phil Buck, his ultimate goal, and I don't know if he'll ever get to it, but he wanted to circumnavigate the globe in a series of Vera coaches. And as it stands, he's on, he's gotten past Easter Island on since his third, but he's got a hell of a lot of work to do, <laughs> you know, um, other than I would have got. So <laughs> it's, it, he, yeah, he devoted his life to it and for many, many years. And um, Easter Island's another amazing place, like with mysteries and oh, yeah. a civilization that virtually sprouted up 20,000 strong and built these massive Moai statues, 50 feet tall, weighing hundreds of tons, you know, that they would farm out of the volcano in right. the middle of the island. And then these statues, they surmised that there were different tribes on the island that would almost compete who could build a bigger statue. And in so doing, over the maybe hundreds of years, they use so much of the resources on the island to probably how they move the statue is by cutting trees down and rolling them on tops of the logs. Um, they literally denuded the entire island. There was nothing, there was, they, it was stripped clean. There were no trees left. And uh, they, you know, then, you know, the, you know, Captain Cook, the, the, the guy who, you know, essentially was the first, he went to Easter Island in 17, oh shit, I don't know what year it was, early or mid 1700s. He landed on Easter Island on Easter day, <laughs> uh, 17, something like, and, um, and, and, you know, these people, had, they, they gave him a lot of disease and then other people went there and then captured them as slaves, but the, but the civilization essentially disappeared. Right. very mysterious and all these secrets are on the island and after if you stay there for like a week or 10 days people are like beat it get off our island we don't like you you're like sniffing around for <laughs> what are you up to you're up to for nefarious things and other than trying to sell you drugs too it's just a bizarre place but <laughs> rife in history and it's on this 20 square mile 
dot in the middle of the vast Pacific Ocean. So like a town, like towns on there or where, where? Yeah, little villages dotted all around this island. Like you could, you can literally rent a bike and ride a bike all right. around the island and see the different Moai statues. And um, these statues are fascinating, fascinating you know, gigantic. And you can go to the Roro Renaku, which is the uh, the volcano there where they harvested, you know, some of them were hadn't officially been cut out of the volcano. Yeah, yeah they're just still there. And they, like tool, not literally that I've seen, but tools just dropped and phew, we're out of here. So something happened and, you know, robbed this, you yeah. know, civilization. Right, really? like uh, warfare or uh, uh, something to do with rats. Yeah, so disease and they're running out of food. So they're, you know, I mean, a tiny little island. It's a Easter Island kind of becomes a microcosm for what's happening to this huge planet, to us, right? You know, yeah. you got some ghosts walking into your house? No, my my kids yelling in the other room. I don't want it to. School's done, right? So when school's out, man, kids just go freaking crazy. My kids were, oh, chaos. And they, they'd be like, you get, we're going to put you in summer camp this summer. No, nope. <laughs> like you're 10. You're telling me, no, no, we're not going to summer camp. I'll be like, all right, let's give it a try. And I have my two sons, like BB gun fights with like 10 kids in the house. We'd come home. It'd be like literal war in the backyard. Right. Like you can see kids running around just goggles like charging after like <laughs> raised by wolves my kids man they would just disappear and they'd show up like at dark on a they'd be like they should not let you be parents to these kids and i was like these kids have the greatest childhood ever right i do yell at them occasionally but they grew up the way i did like no phones you know just go out and if you yeah. get in trouble figure it out don't be a <laughs> jerk be a nice guy little little tangent right there on kids you can get me going on that. that's fine that was fun <laughs> uh i did take some notes from from your video yeah there was an initial initial problems with the rudder it's, it seemed like for about oh, yeah. maybe like a week or something oh yeah and big time had to like cut a hole through the ship to fix it yeah 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 so we so Imagine that we brought all these chorizos, these these gigantic 15-meter sausages, if you will, of reeds on the flatbed tractor-trailer truck all the way down to Vina del Mar, which is a kind of a resort beach community. And we were down there, and it was like April probably or February even. And... Um, we uh the 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 mayor of Easter of Easter the mayor of Vina del Mar gave us this big plot of beach and we built like a little fortress there on the beach where the boat was actually constructed. And so we had the Aymara Indians were down there, a lot of people helping carpenters to help build the masts. You know, we would go cut eucalyptus trees down and actually built the masts and sewed the sails you know, that we used. And um, so when, when the ship was finally ready to be launched, um, 
there we had the the Chilean Navy there to assist us. So we had this huge rope on the bow all out to this tiny little boat, but it wasn't that big of a boat that would just give us a little tug when the boat rolled off these logs into the water. And for some reason, after the boat launched, the, the rope fell out of the boat. I don't know. I think that maybe they wanted us to like have a bad time. So what <laughs> happened was the boat gets out in the water and it's a big wave. Like, you know, you could drown there just running into the water, big, like five or six foot waves just crashing on the beach. So the boat turned sideways and just got pounded by the surf for like a half an hour until we finally were able to ride it and then get a ship to take the rope and tug it out. And so because of the launch, it's it tilted forever just to the side a little bit, like too much, like all this water was brought onto it. Mm. And so the ship just took a lot of damage. So when we were out there, we couldn't get those sails to even puff up. Right. Couldn't get it to move. And so while we were on the ship, we moved, we had to redo the rudder. And then this is a lee board in the middle, but also moved the rudder back to the very back of the ship. So imagine being on something and you're moving the bridge of the ship back like four feet. So that's kind of what we were doing. And it took three, four, maybe five days. And meanwhile, the Chilean Navy is like, wants so badly to pull the plug on the expedition. Like, it the hell, uh, you you guys are just, you know, a, a disaster waiting to happen because right, there's right. huge container ships in the middle of the night going really near us. They would have just killed us. Like we're 65 feet sounds big in a house, but these container ships are 300 feet long right. and yeah. don't see you in the middle of the night. So, yeah, so we did that and they finally let us go. But in the interim, two of the guys on the ship great dudes they're like we're done mm. they bailed on the expedition so when the the chilean i mean the navy came out one night and these the two guys left the expedition and dropped off a guy to replace them and and one of them's a very very good friend of mine just a very smart guy he's like tommy come home with me <laughs> this could be the end <laughs> of your marriage dude and i was like i've got I had just come back from Everest like a couple of years before. I felt like I had a lot to prove. I was trying to do a film for National Geographic. So I didn't do it. I didn't get off the boat. Was that, and, you know, uh, was yeah. that Dean? Was his name Dean? That was Dean. That yeah. was my buddy, Dean. Just yeah. the greatest dude who's ah, just a heart of gold, the man. I was like, go home and talk to my wife. And and he, and he so he sent me an email like a week later. And he's like, dude. You are so screwed. This, this, this marriage could be over. You know, she was, it, it ended eventually, but not literally because of the read ship, but it didn't help. So I always joke is like, if you want to know how to end a marriage, join a read ship expedition. You'll be all set right there, especially if you have kids at home. So you know, if I get a call <laughs> from you at midnight some night, Nick, I'll know. Like, Tom, read shit, please. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I saw that, that they that they left on the on your video. Smart um, man. Very smart. 
So yeah, so what what was it like out there? Because your video was it was like an hour or so, but the, yeah. the trip must have how many days did it it took? It says I wrote down here on day seventy, you guys were in a storm, so you're obviously out there for day weeks, you know? Yeah. Well, the Viracocha one made it to Easter Island in like forty four days, and that was our original hope. And so, on day forty four. We're barely halfway there. Mm. Day, and then, and right around then, we hit 10 days of doldrums, not a breath of wind. So the ship was just sitting there like a little, you know, bobbing in this absolute placid, gorgeous, deep blue ocean. And we went swimming. There's nothing you could do. You can't paddle a 12 ton ship. I mean, you can. <laughs> kind of if you want to get a workout and um so in that time we tried to tack north and south like cutting the you know back and forth using just a little bit of wind to keep us from actually going in reverse and in those 10 days we ended up like 15 miles in the opposite direction you know it was really a, a disaster in that respect but you know honestly life on the reed ship is is so intoxicatingly awesome because during the day you typically have very stable winds and they're quiet and mellow so daytimes are really mellow you'd sit on the the gunnels and read a book hang out i i was doing you know a couple hundred pull-ups a day a couple hundred sit-ups a couple hundred push-ups i was in like it's amazing shape and you know but as time goes on um we were slowly running out of rations and food. So it became ever more important to do the best we could to fish and catch fish. And so we were catching yellowfin tuna, uh, wahoo. We would occasionally get like, you know, little mini flotillas of wahoo. Um, those were our primary um, yellowtail kingfish was another one that we would eat. And we had this guy, Jorge, uh, who was on the ship as a, a, a Chilean guy, he could fillet a fish. Like you catch a fish, you'd be eating, you know, raw sushi of tuna 15 minutes later. Like absolutely amazing. It was just like a master at this stuff. So unfortunately, uh, we there weren't as many fish as there were on the Contiki expedition where they were literally flying fish were jumping aboard mm. on that expedition. Not we only saw just a few shark, only saw a whale, I think, one time. And you'd jump in the water to go swimming, and there'd be hardly any fish around. So we were looking at an ocean that had obviously been depleted. Right. But as it would turn out, all the action would happen in the middle of the night because the they would get quiet. Uh during the day and then in the middle of the night the winds would shift and so the boat was made they were rigged with these sails that's called latin rigged sails and these sails are essentially like triangular sails that hang on one side of the mast or the other it's not like a traditional sailboat where there's a boom coming back from the from the mast and then it triangulates back to the back of the boom. It, it's like this whole separate unit that 
if the wind is blowing, if you will, from your just for simplicity's sake, from your left, the sail would be on the opposite side of the mast. And the minute the winds would shift, you had to be ready and move the sail to the other side, or else they would get pushed up against the mast mm. and push the ship completely broadside to the wind. And it was a disaster. So the minute the wind shifted beyond a certain degree, everybody had to wake up in the middle of the night and shift the sails. So it was a, it just, nothing was going right. We snapped a, one of the masts and, and one of the booms on, on, on one of the sails and had to rebuild it on the ship. So time just kept going and going. It just, it, it really didn't go well. And we had a, we had a satellite phone. The, U, the Navy wanted us to ban, you know, just bail. They were like, we'll come and get you and we'll sink the ship and we'll bring you home. And <laughs> Phil was like, no way, I'm not going home. You know, and he wouldn't do it. He's just a, you know, so, but it, so life on the ship was, was like that. It was like the days were incredibly relaxing and wonderful. Great. Some of the great conversations, writing and journals. And I read 15 books. Like we all brought a bunch of books and, but we were hungry. You know, we started running out of food. It was, and we ran out of propane at the very end, had to like start chopping parts of the ship down to build fires and cook things. And it's pretty cool. Like really actually right, kind yeah. of cool now that we lived, but uh, yeah, you mentioned that in, in the video, uh, I, I, I don't, I don't think we saw it, but you were taught you, they were talking about taking the ship apart and to have to make fires and yep. Yeah. Yeah. And great. Um, <laughs> It was, it, it was cool. And, you know, to be on it, the, the people in South America, especially on Easter Island were very suspicious and they're, they're, I don't know if you've ever heard of dengue fever, but it's like, mm. it's a, it's kind of like a, a bug bite, like a mosquito would bite you and you, it'd be like getting kind of like malaria or something like that. Yeah. And they, when the ship got close to Easter Island, they were, they were like, you have, there's dengue fever on the bugs. And there's like, there's no bugs on the ship. They're like, Oh <laughs> no. And so instead of letting the ship come in to port, they basically took everybody off the boat, hauled the ship out about five miles and poured 55 gallon barrels of oil on the ship and burned it. Oh, wow. <laughs> like there's a real great environmental you know, action right there, just barrels of oil sizzling on the water surface. And um, as an aside note, I was actually off the ship because at that time I got off on a container ship that was going nearby, you know, in some half-hearted attempt to save my marriage, I was able to hitch a ride. So I got off about 15 days before those guys got to Easter Island. So it was one of those trips there's a lot of lot of backstories on many tangents right right um but Such yeah a... i wanted to ask um when you were out there in the ocean you said you saw a couple of sharks and some whale um were they like what kind of sharks were they were they like great white sharks or... uh, no blue blue that we pretty sure blue sharks and um you know we one day, probably one of the coolest sightings we had was we we were on the ship and we hear like we hear somebody yell shark, and um, 
saw the tip, saw a tip above the water, and it was an ocean sunfish. Mm. Have you ever oh, seen in the those? video? Wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It was, oh my god. And I'm really glad to say that they're supposedly horrendous to eat. They're very bony. So Jorge, I was like, don't you kill that thing. I thought he was going to like spear it and try to eat it because he'd, he'd just eat any. You know, I was like <laughs> killing shit left and right, right? So, But we all jumped in the water and I had this little under camera thing going. It was unfortunate. I couldn't get some water out. So I kept trying to pull me up. I couldn't get deep. But it, when we all jumped in, it was as curious in us as we were of it mm. we would like you'd it would kind of swim away then it would turn around and go hey where are you guys going it was very very cool just a incredible sighting um and then the tuna sometimes you could jump in and float and you could see these schools just just out of sight you know not gigantic schools but and on occasion you could see you know mile off like a, a tuna hunt going on where they were probably going after flying fish or, or some small fish. I also wanted to ask, um, you probably didn't, you haven't mentioned seeing anything, but anything, anything weird while you were out there or strange or I've heard stories of like fishermen seeing, you know, stuff flying out of the ocean and like, yeah, yeah. You know, um, for me, I was very intrigued with these stories and always on the lookout for for such things. And so we all had two hour shifts on the bridge to steer the boat. And I picked the 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. shift and everybody else would be asleep. And so I'd be on and it was most of the time it was very, very quiet. And so imagine you're out in the middle of the ocean and stars are absolutely brilliant and you see shooting stars and, you know, satellites passing overhead and the phosphorescence in the water. Mm. And I was always a little nervous about big fish and stuff. I don't know why I get like, nah. like yeah, no, I would be no <laughs> like you couldn't pay me to jump in the water when right, it was done. right, right. And um, anyway, so I was on on the bridge one night, and and this French guy we had on the boat, his name is Stefan, this wonderful guy who was so into fishing, another fishing freak on the boat, and he would throw these big hooks on this long line off the back of the ship at night with a fat chunk of tuna stuff that you might not eat like mm. bony stuff or part of the spine or something like that. And he throw it off and these hooks were probably six inches. Like you could tow a car. You literally could tow a car with one of these hooks if you attached it to a pickup truck. And so I just remember once one night being on the bridge, looking in the phosphorescence going, Oh man, it's like, that's there's no way that was like a shadow or anything, you know, but so I was like, I'm, my mind must be playing games with me. And now this wasn't the same night, but every time I was on, uh, on, I always, always on the lookout at this two to 4 AM, always mostly to keep the ship steered in the right way. We wake up one morning and Stefan pulls in the rope with the hook and the hook was bent straight 
Like, so uh, we're talking of a hook so fat you could tow a car with it was literally bent. So something latched onto that thing and we didn't feel the a tug. Right. Um, we were... I was just like, oh my God, if you ever fell overboard in that boat, I'd be so terrified. Right. You know, and and so that was the one thing, but also uh squid are amazing. We caught like a um a humble squid early on in the expedition. And they're named after the the explorer Humboldt, who who did a lot of who, who named the Humboldt current, which goes northward along the South American coast and then hits a left turn, which is the current we are trying to catch to get out there um, and missed it, by the way. And uh, everything went wrong on this expedition. Nobody died is all I can say. So, but um, we caught a, a Humboldt squid and the squid was probably, I don't know, maybe 10 feet, eight feet long. And when you pull it up on, on the sh- on the deck it's actually really sad because they're not great eating but th- it's almost like th- uh, a neon sign light changing colors mm. hundreds of times a second from these beautiful purple translucent yellows and oranges and blues like and it was it's like this magical uh, light show in the actual squid and unfortunately what happens after this then it dies and i was like compl- i was like throw it back i was like so not into it i was like i was i was i've been a vegetarian a lot of my life i i'm not really particularly now but i on this i was living like the ancients you know i mean what am i going to live on you know you can only so many potatoes on the ship but yeah we did have these Humboldt squid. And then the lot of the fables go that there are these massive squid that would reach their tentacles up into the boat and they were big enough. They might be 30, 40, 50 feet long. And the tentacles are big enough to reach into where you're sleeping and suck you into the water and you disappear without a trace. And so that did enter my mind on a number of occasions that one of us could fall prey to that great old stories of, you know, sea work, you know, living on the sea. Right. Like, I wonder what, what could have bit that hook and done that. Maybe oh. a squid. I don't know. I don't know if they could do that or not. I don't know. How man. far off the back of the ship was the hundred feet, maybe, yeah. maybe a hundred feet, something like that. Um, We had a buoy off of a, a rope that was probably 50 feet off and it's a teeny little buoy that we called god and so if you fall off the boat you look for god and you grab onto the buoy and pull yourself back in fortunately because we didn't know how to stop the boat we couldn't stop it it didn't turn very well either right oh so falling off the ship was not was was absolutely a no-no um so i guess one last thing before we sure uh on your video, it was around day 70 that there was a storm. Was yeah. that the first storm or only storm or was there storm? It was it was certainly the more um the more damaging of the storms. I missed it. There was one that was like a minor storm, 
but I, and I was off the ship. I had taken the container. Oh. Ship. I was on Easter Island at the time. Right. And, uh, cause that's where the ship was going. And, um, the, it shredded sails. It yeah, just, I saw that. it was a, it was a big hit to the, the as if the Viracocha had not taken enough hits this, it, it barely limped mm. to Easter Island. It, you know, the, the sails were so damaged. And so their, their effectiveness was reduced by a drastic amount. I don't know, 40% or something like that. Mm. And it was already having a hard time being pulled forward on the power of the sails as it was. So the ship, so this storm was really, it was, it was kind of the last straw. Like if they weren't so close to the Island, it might've been like, let's go, we're done we're done here. We'll call the Navy and just bail. So, uh, so how was the ocean the whole time you're out there? Was it mostly calm? Yeah. Giant waves, steady breeze, beautiful, you know, steady, not a lot of high seas, really beautiful, uh, you know, wavy, maybe three to four foot seas is primarily what I remember. We had some days were maybe 10 or 12 foot waves if you will that we just kind of bob up and down on but a lot of times that was during perfect you know steady winds so the boat was moving at a faster clip at that time but not very fast it was such was so waterlogged the boat so the boat was just sludging along it was really honestly if, if i had been the captain of that ship um and all due respect to my buddy phil I probably would have pulled the plug on it after the launch because the ship got its ass kicked during the launch. Yeah. I saw that in the movie and in, in your video, they were, they were moving. I forget what they called them. They were moving pieces from one side to the other because it was so, so waterlogged. Yeah. The barrels of water. We had fresh water. We had like all these 55 barrel uh, gallon barrels of fresh water. So we we're putting them on the other side of the ship to try to tilt it back to the other side and uh it was just you know i i in some respects i had no business being on the boat um but i had a 1999 mount everest had there, there were so many uh you know kind of internal struggles with the people who were on the expedition and a lot of criticisms from the mountaineering community on you know finding the body of george mallory and the photographs taken. I wanted to really purge myself of, of that. And I thought, this is it. This is how I'm going to do it. And I'm going to quit mountaineering once and for all. And it's going to be on the ocean. And I think that I was probably overambitious thinking that, you know, maybe I probably should not have been, I should have gotten off with Dean and Steve four days in. But I was like, no, 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 this is it. This is my thing. I don't want to let my boys down. I'm old enough now to be like, dude, I'm out of here. I, know, I probably wouldn't have even gotten on the boat. Yeah, you yeah. know, I might have gotten helped him load it and said, good luck. I'll meet you on Easter Island in a month or two. But, um, you know, it was uh, it it was just a, it, it was like kind of a, an expedition. It wasn't a tragic expedition because nobody died. But it was uh, it was doomed. Yeah, it's so exciting though. I mean, to do oh. something like that is like incredible. Oh yeah, absolutely. It it 
it, it was such an exciting trip. And in some respects, I say it was one of the best expeditions I've ever had. Um, but it was also one of the worst, but there were good people on it. And, um, you know, and, you know, it was such a good time. Like, as I said, reading the books and hanging out, one of my buddies, Rod McCurdy, just this great guy, real great athlete. We just sat and talked. We had, you know, we would talk for like six hours a day. <laughs> just philosophize about life and truly, truly an amazing experience. And so I'm honored to have done it, but it was, you know, looking back, it it was it probably wasn't the greatest idea for me to stay on that boat. Hmm. Do you think, do you think it's possible, uh, you know, South Americans, I don't know, they're, you know, like Peru or I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure which countries are on the coast there, but do you think they could have made it? Yeah. You know, I think many archaeologists and, and anthropologists believe that all of Thor Heyerdahl's uh, theories about westward migration of this South American culture are unfounded. Right. That, that Eastern Polynesia, those people came from more like where Vietnam is, Southeast Asia and, you know, those countries, you know. And um, you were on the ship that, you know, you were on the ship. Do you think they could have made it? I think absolutely. I think that there's a chance that there were some random people right. who might have hit it. But in terms of populations, yeah, sending ships there, it looks more and more unlikely. And one of the ways it it that they've proved it, they believe, is that whole idea of tracking where the the sweet potato right. yeah. you know, came from. A lot of people are like it's from South America, but it's it's the genetics of these plants and how they've moved around the globe. And uh and now they're doing DNA testing on some of the some of the people mm -hmm. there as well and trying to determine where they're from. So uh I think Thor Heyerdahl was probably wrong about about Easter Island having been populated by people from South America, but I'm not I don't doubt that people could have reached it randomly you know i think that maybe they'd send a fishing fleet out to catch fish for the people living on the shore caught in a storm right. and they're gone they right. never get back to home which is pretty cool think about that like yeah, how no, people yeah. get around the globe <laughs> yeah exactly yeah really really exciting stuff to ponder i mean there's there's stories of of uh you ever heard of like prince maddock he was a, a Welsh prince from, I don't know, somewhere around the 1000s. And he supposedly left, you know, Wales and sailed across the the Atlantic and landed somewhere in the south and and went up into, you know, the Midwest and, and set roots there. And I some, something to do with the, the Mandan Native American. Oh, that's really cool. So I'm looking at it. Yeah, right. Maddox, um, according to folklore... Sailed yeah, to America in 1170, over 300 years before it would be before um, Columbus, right? Yeah. So and that stories of like the Chinese making it to to 
to California. Oh, yeah. And oh, absolutely. And the Vikings, I mean, you know, 40 years ago, they would have told you, no way, the Vikings were never in North America. Now, you know, it's proven. Oh, I know. Well, absolutely. I mean, I yeah, I think the Chinese and they were masterful map makers as well. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think, you know, for people to laud Christopher Columbus for discovering America, it just seems typical white man, right? You know, we discovered it. It's like yeah. it's been living here for thousands of years, you know, so it's it. it yeah, but the, the, all the sailing around the, you know, the, the globe and the Chinese and the Portuguese, right? Christopher Columbus and and then the Brendan voyages, right? The the that kind of not unlike the Maddox, um, this guy, what, let's see, he was like, I don't know, what year were the Brendan voyages in? I've let's never heard see. of that. Yeah, it's a it's a let me see. Um, it was to prove, and it might be that this guy was. Oh trying yes, to I do... think I have heard of that from yeah. uh, from Ireland, right? Was it? Yeah, Ireland? yeah. And ones. trying to uh, talking about to reconstruct Saint Brendan's sixth century Atlantic crossing to America. Yeah, sixth that. century. That's the year five hundred. I know. That's something. <laughs> That's absolutely in insane and so you know people have been traveling around the ocean forever and ever you know and you know why not right, right? i you mean know? they're like highways if a lot of people see them as barriers but you know yeah they could, that's they could how have we, been highways they absolutely they could have been you know so you know to but but in terms of easter island i'm sure people just randomly got there over yeah, the that years, sounds right. the most likely of of situations. But it's so remote; it's so absolutely remote. It, it just way the hell out in the middle of nowhere, mm. and uh, kind of cool to think that somehow, some way, there was this civilization growing up to twenty something thousand people on this island, you know, and wars on a tiny little island, like worshiping gods and. Honestly, you if you re seriously, man, if you can ever go there, I always wanted to bring my kids there because it was like this is like the most amazing history lesson on what's happening to our planet right now. Right. Dwindling resources and you know, and and overusing resources. It decimated their entire civilization. And then of course they were exploited by you know the people who came there and sailed and then took them as slaves and things like that which is you know there's there's a lot of sad things there but it's a beautiful place to go to learn and can't beat south america and the south pacific for all those things oh yeah yeah <laughs> uh, yeah it's just it's too beautiful down there i'd like to go i don't i don't know if i'd ever be able to but maybe maybe one day well, it's one of those things. And when you have little guys, um, you know, it, it, yeah, it has to, it has to work out. You got to either turn it into a priority or hope for an opportunity. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I'm going to look up when did, when did Captain James Cook land on Easter Island? It was, so he, 
he did his three voyages are absolutely amazing to research and um so he died in february of 1779 and i think he was killed on hawaii they threw a spear into his back and um but uh yeah so sometime before the 1770s he was on easter island and that probably wasn't too far because that's not that far from hawaii really right it's just north right north south i don't know i'd have to look at a map to kind of figure it out but there's a whole there's a whole you know rabbit hole to get into just reading about his voyages yeah, I could be I could be wrong because I know Magellan, even though he died, was the first to circumnavigate yeah. the world. But he he died. Um was Captain Cook, was he the first to actually do it himself? I, to I, actually I, circumnavigate? Yeah, like and make it alive. I don't he's know if he something. circumnavigated. I'm gonna look it up. I know he's I know one of his voyages, he's famous for something. And I other than Easter Island. Well, he, yeah, but I mean, he hit Hawaii, you know, he, his, he has three voyages and they're absolutely amazing how far, how much land he covered, but essentially he, did he circumnavigate in one voyage? It looks like he did in the 1770s one of the yeah maybe he did on two of those voyages one i thought he circled back after he hit north america and things like that and and the western north america but um yeah, they're all so cool you know I, it says right here like he was in the seven years war and he's sailing up the saint lawrence river and he's, he's gone all over you know like yeah i mean these guys were brilliant and and brave and you know and really adventurous think about it it's like you don't know if you're coming home right definitely not you it's it like i you know who knows yeah i mean it, if you're sailing back then i think chances are high that you're not making it back Oh, very good. Yeah. And then pirates and things like that. Oh, yeah. Those are the guys who had the had good living out there. And you could and they didn't even know how you got scurvy. Right. The lack of vitamin C. And I don't even know when did they solve that? What year? Like probably only a, probably 150, 200 years ago. Right. I know, I know. I know back in during like the golden age of piracy, they had they must have had an idea because they knew that they needed citrus fruits yeah um it's that 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 was was it blackbeard was the real famous one? Oh yeah i love pirates i've i've done an episode on captain kid no kid really you yeah, gotta look up actually blackbeard. one of the uh, d definitely but one of the the guests that i have on the show she doesn't live too far from here she's a master diver um, oh yeah Annette Spaulding, she yes. There's an island not you know that's kind of near us on the Connecticut, where you know there's a myth that Captain Kidd was there and he buried his treasure and blah blah blah. But she supposedly found something. But she won't she won't tell me what it is or show me. Oh. Points to Captain Kidd actually being there at some point. What? I don't know what it is, but so I yeah I, I figured I'd do an episode. 
Oh, you have to. And then, well, Lisa, because she doesn't want to tell anybody because she doesn't want anybody to go scoop right, it. Right, right. I mean, it, about, yeah. It makes sense. He could have, he could have, right before he turned himself in, he was right at the mouth of the Connecticut River. He actually buried his treasure on Block Island, which is at the mouth of the Connecticut. So he could have sailed oh the river, God. but he, there's no record of him actually doing that. Oh my gosh. That is absolutely awesome. I do not know much about that. And now you just sent me down a different rabbit hole. He actually wasn't even a pirate. He was a privateer and he, he was a written, you know, he was, he was rich. He lived in Manhattan on wall street. Like he got set up and it was pretty much a conspiracy to have him killed. He raided oh. a French ship. Um, That's awesome. That was oh owned God. by, you know, the Mughal empire. So everyone was mad at him for doing that. But it, since it was a French ship, you know, during the seven years war, he was, you know, it was a legitimate raid. He took it, held on to the French papers and they hid those and nobody found them until about a hundred years ago. So. Whoa. But yeah, he, he was, he wasn't really a pirate, you know, that is so cool. Good stuff, man. Oh, man, I'm going to have to just do a deep dive on all your past episodes because you said you did one on him. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I used to have a co-host, and those ones, when I had the co-host, those episodes could be pretty wild. But Yeah, no, I I enjoyed those. And I've still got to get back to your previous one, (laughs) this recording, and finish it. There's so many episodes of other podcasts I want to listen to. The uh, Matthew McConaughey was on lex friedman's podcast and that's a good one he's a good interviewer he's very really good interviewer he he has like a million subscribers on youtube and just he just knows how to kick ass brilliant freaking dude just ask great questions and i'll have to check that out you should Uh, yeah he does some good stuff for sure i spend all day driving in the car so (laughs) Lex Friedman, F-R-I-D-M-A-N. I'm not trying to get people to leave this episode and go elsewhere. You can edit that out, but uh, no, no, it's fine. Worth a listen, definitely, definitely worth a listen. Yeah, but uh, I guess that was it, really. Right on. Yeah, actually, there Always. was one last thing. You had yeah. mentioned something about uh, an ancestor of yours. Oh my gosh! Yeah. What, what was that about? What happened there? When I was a little kid, we had two volumes of the history of the Pollard family in America. And so granted, you know, just because the last name is Pollard doesn't necessarily mean that we were direct descendants of, but there's some connection to, right? Um, And so there was a Pollard on Nantucket, Captain George Pollard, and he was the captain of the ship the essex which in the 17 it was a whaling ship out of nantucket mm-hmm. and he was immortalized a story but also made infamous as well uh, um in in the book moby dick because in the book by herman melville um the essex is rammed by a whale Mm-hmm. And, and that's the Moby Dick, right? And so this really did happen. His sh- they were out whaling, and the, a whale rammed the ship and sank it. And they were 
believe it or not, Nick, not that far from where I was on my Reed ship expedition, like kind of out there. And uh, probably uh, laterally speaking, more south. But um, they, so they got into lifeboats and floated adrift for weeks and weeks and weeks and became, you know, people were dying in the boats and, you know, they would roll the body into the ocean. And then as, then they started starving. And so when a body would die, they started eating the bodies. And, uh, and then when they were really, really hungry, they landed, they landed on this Island. I believe it was Ducey, D-U-C-I Island. You can literally look it up. And there was another Island that I think that they were near, um, when they were starving, just few of them left, they drew straws mm. to see which person would be shot, mm. killed to be eaten by the survivors. And then the second time they drew the straws, it was who draws the short straw to actually shoot and kill the guy. Mm. And so these are true stories. This isn't like like, oh, right, it didn't right. happen. It absolutely happened. And he made it back ultimately to Nantucket. And uh, he actually sank another ship in, <laughs> in in successive years of his life. So he didn't have a great uh, uh, track record. He, he was There was this, a book written by Nathaniel Philbrick called The Heart of the Sea. Yep. And it was bestseller and then it became a film yeah. called the heart of the sea and it basically i went to see it in the theater because i was like oh my god they're gonna just make this guy look like a dank and you know you you're the worst sea captain who ever lived and because he was put on trial you know for all the things that they did just to survive right and he was found you know not guilty and mm-hmm. they kind of they made it right like they didn't they could have just really reamed the guy, but they they actually did well by him. And he reto- retired, I think, a policeman on Nantucket and died there of old age, you know? So pretty, pretty cool story. Yeah, definitely. That, that is cool. I've been to Nantucket, but I don't remember. I don't remember. I was little, so. Yeah, you go. That's that's one to go back. I might be in Nantucket this summer. I'm going to look it up. I've never actually been to the island, so I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah, it's definitely nice. Yeah. It's quiet. It's really quiet. Oh, totally. Except on weekends in the, in the, that really busy section. Yeah, no doubt. Um, Yeah. So maybe I'll do a little more research on that. Maybe I'll get some more intel for you and we'll see if we can't break that story down again. Yeah, no, I, I, I know that I remember going to several different whaling museums there. So there's, there's, there's gotta be something about it. Yeah, no doubt. I'm sure that I'm sure it's in there. It might have been right there in front of you. Mm, probably was. Um, yeah. That have you? You probably haven't seen it. There's a show. It's like a hit show out right now called Yellow Jackets. You ever heard of it? I have not. Uh, no. It's like this sock. This girl's soccer team. They crash in the woods. You know, and they have to survive. And in the second season, you know, they're drawing, uh, out of a deck of cards to see who's gonna who's going to die cuz you know to get eaten but oh my god well then there's the whole story about the 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 kids who were just on the plane crash in the amazon oh, did I, you know i don't know this that. just they, they they so about 2 months ago a small craft was flying with and they were they were um 
they were like of a of an Indian tribe from there. Right. And they were flying not a very long flight, but the the plane ran like on had engine trouble. It crashed right in the middle of the Amazon, nose down. Everybody died except for four kids. This just happened. 13 year old, they were all siblings, 13, oh, man. Eight, six, and like a a one year old. Ooh. And they survived. They just found them recently. They were in the in the Amazon for 40 something days. Oh wow. And they surmised that because of what they were taught growing up in this right. truck, they learned how to survive. But there's leopard, there's jaguars, and a lot that can kill you. They literally oh, yeah got them they all survived wow yeah that's amazon is is dangerous (laughs) totally no snakes poisonous spiders so this stuff happens i mean there's a story for you too and that's happening another survival story how about the submersible that's right yeah trying to get right now at the titanic have they found it that i know of they haven't found it yet i hear one of the uh richest people in pakistan is in there yeah and his son and his son yeah yeah it's real sad i've heard a lot of weird stories about it because i i'm a member of this thing called the explorers club and these guys are explorers club people you know like i'm not not as rich as the billionaires on there that's for sure but you know so i know a lot of people who know these guys and they're flipping out you know just saying oh people are saying all sorts of bad things about it um but apparently the united states didn't want some of our resources used to go down right. there get them so bring, yeah so who knows we'll see political and everything now you know yeah it's it, that i hope it doesn't end tragically yeah you couldn't pay me enough to get on a vessel to go under the sea done some stupid things but that one just seems really scary not stupid i'm not saying they're stupid but that's a different oh no yeah have a different mindset to be oh yeah (laughs) scary stuff jumping out of an airplane sort of you know (laughs) yeah right but uh (laughs) but yeah i think that's i think that's good always good speaking with you my man we definitely went over the hour a little bit oh yeah we're good i'm good to go so um if you need to do any fill-ins just give me a shout mm-hmm. and we'll patch it up if you're like oh one more little thing we can do a little mini one you can drop it right. in you know It'll happy be fine to- i'm i mean i'm kind of i hope my kids didn't interrupt anything good. no that was cute man i love seeing little kids i sometimes my cat jumps on the back of my chair and sharpens his claws <laughs> right here i'm pawing at the door i was like eh, i'll spare you the cat today but perfect but uh, I'll send you an email. I've got a couple people who might be of interest to you that I'll, that, you know, just future episode possibilities. Right. Yeah. That'd be great. Awesome. All right. I'll All right, my dude. Next time, whenever that is. Yeah. Make it soon. Good luck with getting the new house thing set up. And Velos Falls is one step closer to me, man. So I'll, <laughs> when I'm driving through, we'll go grab a cup of coffee or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck to you on that. It sounds Thank exciting. You. See you Thank soon. You. Bye. Peace out. All right. Another great episode with Tom Pollard. That guy, he's just, he's funny. He's hes easy to talk to. hes He's got incredible stories and hes he just knows 
everything like and not, and not in a bad way like he oh man he's, he's so smart he i'm like oh yeah you know you heard of these villages that are that float and he's like oh yeah you know I, i've been there i've seen this oh you know we almost got sacrificed he's like, wow that's crazy you know he's lived such a fascinating life just to be able to travel to all these places and you know it as he says, looking back on it, you know, it might not have been the smartest thing he's done, but, you know, a lot of people don't get to say that either, which is, you know, in and itself crazy. Um, but yeah, Tom Pollard, Veracocha 2, you know, across the Pacific Ocean, Easter Island, um, pre-Columbian contact. We didn't go over this a whole lot, but, you know, it's, it's all this contact between continents, you know, before Christopher Columbus discovered America, you know, all this, all that crap. Um, but yeah, you know, you know, the, the, you know, science will tell you that the oceans are barriers. And I'm here to tell you that the oceans were more likely highways. I mean, I could list off several. You know, you got supposedly the the ancient Celts came here, as as Tom had mentioned with the 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 Saint um, Brendan expeditions, um, and then you have even in New Hampshire, you got Mystery Mystery Rock, is it or or America Stonehenge, where supposedly they found Phoenician writing, on carved into some of these stones there. Throughout New England, we have these these underground chambers where some people will tell you they're just root cellars. The other people will tell you they're, you know, built by ancient Celts or or Vikings or you know some sort of ancient culture from Europe, and and some of them are are, you know, it's definitely not some farmer two hundred years ago who has a pile of rocks. They decide they want to 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 dig a hole in the ground and line it full of these rocks they pulled out of their field. Like these, these are these chambers. They're constructed. Uh, some of them are constructed to face the the winter and summer solstice, so that the light will shine through. You know, this little hole in the rock and shine light throughout the the entire chamber. Some of them have these these intricate ceilings and. Like uh, I think they call them uh, beehive ceilings with the, the way the rocks are stacked on top of each other. It just forms these crazy kind of like new Grange in Ireland or uh, I can't think of any off the top of my head. But, you know, you, you go you look at pictures of new Grange and you just imagine that under the ground like these are chambers where you climb, you know, you climb through little holes, some of them. They're just these tiny little holes. You climb through that hole and you're in this this huge chamber with with stone walls, stone pathways. You know, they're they're fascinating. And I plan on doing a whole episode on them. But anyway, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, Pre-Columbian contact. That's what this whole Veracocha 2 voyage was all about. Um, and Tom was able to hitch a ride on there and, and film some of it. And it was... It was incredible it was just incredible uh so yeah that was tom pollard you know he was on here a few episodes ago talking about his uh explorations of mount everest and now he was on to tell us about his 
voyage on the Veracocha 2. So that definitely sounds almost canon to me. Thank you.